and try again. Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Haig. And with me, as always, the Rob Van Huff. What up, Huff? How's it going? Also known as the Huff. Also known as not Caleb Haig. That's right. The, the other guy. Yeah. So, uh, sorry we're running a little bit late. We came on air four minutes late today. What? I know. Well, we've had some technical difficulties, but nonetheless, we're here. So what up and shalom to everybody listening out there, whether you're listening live or you're listening to the podcast or watching us on YouTube. We thank you for listening. What up and shalom to everybody in the chat room. I just logged into the chat room, so I uh, it's good to see everybody in there. Hello and what up and shalom to you. At our programming desk, a Gary Springer and running all of our web and chat room stuff. Is Mark Randall. Thanks to you guys. Tor, uh, uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. TorahResource, find all sorts of free articles, books, audio teachings, whatever it may be that you want to uh, dive into biblically. You can probably find it at TorahResource.com. And most of the time, you can find it for free uh, at some point. At some point throughout history, you can find Something on Torah Resource for free. Uh, anyway, so go to TorahResource.com. You can also uh, sign up for classes. Our class registration for uh, Torah Resource Institute for, for our fall, fall quarter is open, and you can register at TorahResourceInstitute.com. Okay, enough of that. Uh, how you been, Rob? <laughs> Praise God. Mm-hmm. Things are... I, I'm just excited about a lot of things that are coming up um, and grateful to have had time with family this last week. We had a bunch of family in from out of town. And, um, you know, we got family camp coming up. And got present presentations there. I'm excited. That there's so many people there. I'm excited to, to be able to spend time with. Um, then around the corner, we're going to be at SBL, Lord willing. Yeah, and, uh, presenting there, which is a little bit nerve-wracking, but exciting. Daunting, yes. I got to tell you, uh, these kind of weeks are always a bit uncomfortable for me. The reason why is because Monday we didn't uh, have our Rob and Caleb show meeting, and so I started going in a direction for our for our show topic today. And then on Tuesday, when I did talk to Rob, I brought the show topic up, and he said, yeah, absolutely, that's a great show topic. And then we started researching, digging a little deeper, uh, really diving into what we were going to talk about. and uh, Which will remain a mystery. Which will remain a mystery. And uh, I think the Lord just told us, no, that's not going to be a topic. So yesterday, <laughs> at about 2 o'clock, maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we decided, nope, we can't do that topic. We're not going to do that topic. We're going to stay far away from that topic. 
And we change topics midstream. And so if it feels like this show topic was a bit thrown together last minute, it was. <laughs> um, and it's not that I'm stalling here, actually. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This, yes and no, because yes, it was not what we originally thought about. But this is this is one of those streams of... It's like always. See, always seems like it's kind of on the back burner. Well, actually, it, it actually uh, it connects to last week's topic very well, and actually, it comes from last week's topic too because we had some comments uh, on our on our program from last week. And last week we talked about the new covenant. What is the new covenant? We talked about the old covenant, which uh, seems to be a word and a phrase that's that's thrown around uh, all the time or at least a lot, by our Christian brothers and sisters. But it's never really defined. And so we talked about that. Uh, The phrase Old Covenant is only used by Paul once. Uh, I think it's only used in the Apostolic Scriptures once. Uh, Because the times in Hebrews is not actually there, is it? Am I wrong on that? When they read the ancient covenant, there's a a veil over their head, a veil over their eyes. Yeah. That's in one of the Second Corinthians, I think. Yeah. Okay, so before we get to that, I wanted to bring this up. Somebody sent this in. This is uh, from a WordPress site called God's Secret. Now, I haven't discussed this with Rob yet, but I know he's seen it. The uh, title of this post is Ohio Decalogue Stone and Keystone. Oh, yeah. I think Adam <laughs> sent that one to me. <laughs> I was wondering if you uh, you were going to wax on this boldly or not. So yeah. you, you open this up. Do you have this, Rob? Do you have this in front of you? Uh, I can get it. Hang on I, just a sec. Here's the... Uh, actually, see. if you could send me the link. Yeah, here. I'll send it to you right now. Should we post it for our it's, listeners? It's in the show notes. It's the first link in your show oh, notes. I ha- oh, well, let there me go. There you go. There. It's, I just put it in the... I just put it in your... Uh, cool. Thank you. Whatchamacallit. How do I get rid of that now? Oh, chat. There it is. Okay. Sorry. I'm learning things about Skype as we go. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so this thing says Ohio Decalogue Stone and Keystone. Uh, and it says in November of 19, uh, I'm sorry, 1860, David Wyrick of Newark, Ohio found an inscribed stone in a burial mound about 10 miles south of Newark. The stone is inscribed on all sides with a condensed version of the Ten Commandments. Oh, wait. Oh, and by the way, that reminds me. Uh, so, but they don't give us a picture of that one. No, they do don't they? give us a picture of that one. And actually, let's see here. Um, Maybe that's the one. The Ten Commandments. There we go. So uh, <laughs> You found it. I found right. it. Uh, Rob Vanoff. You know, I love it when Rob sends me uh, audio clips. Uh, so sometimes Rob will send me audio clips that are pertinent to whatever conversation we're talking about, and that's always nice, too, because I don't listen to them first. And other times he sends he sends me sound clips for our soundboard. And so today I wake up, I open up my Dropbox folder, and lo and behold, there's eleven sound clips for our soundboard. I think my favorite one is this one because I actually use this uh, this phrase the other day. I am well, you might say the uh, the token Gentile. <laughs> Uh, nice. Okay, anyway, so back to this Ohio Decalogue stone and keystone. So it looks like, it looks to me, now I could be wrong, I don't know what this, the top one looks like a ring, but it's not, I think it's a, uh, I don't know, I don't know what it is. It's it's some kind of a huge stone. Now, they're purporting that this is Hebrew. However, this does not look like Hebrew to me. 
in one of the captions it says, uh, yod Hey vav Hey or Y-H-W-H, keystone written in ancient block Hebrew found in Newark, Ohio, Indian mounds. And then uh, there's also uh, a couple of, uh, of uh, arrowheads, I think it's supposed to be. Is this supposed to be arrow? Are you looking at the same thing I am? Yeah, the one that says, uh, yeah, yeah. So it has the name of God on it. Uh, this one does seem to be uh, Hebrew, but it doesn't look like ancient Hebrew. It looks more like a modern script. It's not Paleo-Hebrew. It doesn't even really look like rabbinic Hebrew. What do you think, yeah, Rob? Well, they're, they're, well don't, we need to make a distinction between a, a script and, and the language itself. So, but the, I think this is someone copying a written text. The the one that's the triangle piece. Yeah, the, yeah. That looks to me like they they saw a they saw it written, and so they're trying to make the the letters look like they saw it in a in a written. Now, uh, the one below that it says, "Now these are the Ten Commandments," and it's on this stone. And then they they've actually inscribed. What it looks like. This does not look like Hebrew to me. Does it look like Hebrew to you? Well, I think it's a, I think it's someone modifying, you know, Paleo Hebrew. We have to remember that from, well, I don't know how old, but at least probably back into the 16, 1600s, at least, we have European scholars who are finding old, like Bar Kokhba coins, or, you know, they're finding things from, the second temple period that have the paleo Hebrew writing on it. And then they're, they're publishing that and sending it around. I mean, this stuff is right around the time of think about Joseph Smith. Yeah, exactly. In the eight, early 1800s. And be, before that, we talk about this a little bit in the critical issues course that we do in the 16th, 1700s, you have in the Americas, you have people claiming that the Indians speak a language like Hebrew now, they hadn't yet gotten into where they're finding in these, quote, inscriptions, which are forgeries, but they are um, saying that, oh, this Indian language of this certain tribe is like an ancient dialect of Hebrew. Where the fact of, this, these are just all sensationalist claims. This is kind of up the alley of, oh, we found the original Aramaic Gospels in the Peshitta kind of thing. Well, I mean, it's, to me, to it, me, this... It's sensationalist. And th- these, are, these are forgeries made to look... To, you know, there, there's no, there's no reason. <laughs> they're they're totally uh, devoid of any Hebraic or Jewish culture. Like the big thing. Even Tan- Jesus Tan- was a Jew. Oh, I, play it again. What? Even Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> Where did you get these, man? Uh, that was from that one's that's uh Sally is it Sally Struthers from All in the Family? Nice. Yeah, you got no. a couple from All in the Family, don't you? We were discussing yeah, yeah. one of your favorite old hang-ups, your anti-Jewish bias. <laughs> anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm playing yeah, around with my new soundboard. Like yeah. Anyway, these are uh Yeah. There's no no uh reason why you know, there's no community that that claims ownership over these. There's no, we have, it's just someone engraved it. Listen to this. Said, Hey, look what I found. Listen, that's, that's okay. Let's read some of this, this sensationalism. Listen to this. Okay. Welcome to the location of the oldest known 10 commandments. The only place on earth. Uh, do I have the, 
Man, I wish I had this spread. In the, anyway, commandments on earth. The only place on earth where the name of God is found having been written into a stone altar dedicated to him and the first place of ownership established to the biblical God in America. South of Albuquerque and west of Las Lunas, New Mexico, an ancient inscription was carved into the face of a boulder centuries ago. It is the next of the Ten Commandments written in Hebrew. The text of the uh, Ten Commandments written in Hebrew. Of particular interest is the fact that the type of Hebrew writing that was used was Paleo Hebrew. Dun dun dun. Like it says this means we can fairly conclude <laughs> that it was. It's been up there since before 500 BC. Yeah, exactly. So, so okay. So this means that we can fairly conclude the inscription of the Ten Commandments was engraved on the face of the boulder in New Mexico, North America, sometime prior to 500 BC. The only one of Israel-led colonies of righteous Israelites to the land of America prior to the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian dispersion that occurred in about 587 BC. What? See, to me, this reeks of of. Uh, Mormonism. I, this doesn't purport to be a Mormon site. It doesn't look, and it, they got a ton of stuff on here. Uh, they just got so much stuff on here, but it, it just reeks of of Mormonism. Because you know, when I was, maybe this wasn't right. You know, maybe we weren't the wisest back in the day. But when I was doing mission trips back when I was like fourteen, fifteen years old, I probably shouldn't have been doing mission trips at that point anyway. But when I was doing mission trips back there and back then, we would go to Manti, Utah, and try to convert Mormons. And one of the things that uh, that we did was we would go into the the uh, temple in the temple square down in in Salt Lake City. They have a they have the uh, Mormon Museum, and basically, it's not really a museum. It's basically just all these like scenes of what they think, you know, what the Book of Mormon says. And so we would go in and ask about the the archaeological artifacts that had been found for all the wars, which was kind of underhanded and mean because obviously there are none. You would think that if there's a, you know, a war of 30,000 people or whatever in the United States, that there would be a significant amount of archaeological evidence. However, there is not anyway. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to have to call uh foul on this one. I don't think that this is uh, I don't think that this is, has any merit to it. Let's give it a nice big, uh, <laughs> Okay. Let's move on. So, but Caleb, but Caleb. Oh no! Here we go. It's my identity. <laughs> of a, I'm a lost tribe, and this is evidence that I'm a lost tribe of Israel. And Let you're, me put it this you're way. To Have you ever heard that? of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, morons? Okay, so let's move on. I'm sorry that your identity feels unintact. Maybe what you should do is convert. To Messianic Judaism. Um, let's listen but to this. Could I, could I make Aliyah and be recognized by the state of Israel? No, we'll get into that too. Okay, so. I do that. Pardon me while I cough. As you can tell, today is very informal. It usually is here on the Robin Caleb Show. For all of our new listeners, we hope you just, you know, sit back and have just fun. Playing and it by ear. Enjoy the, enjoy the, uh, the ride that we're taking you on. Okay, so uh, one of our, you know, there's a gentleman who always comments on our shows on YouTube. He's a believer. He's, uh, I believe he's in California. He actually seems like, uh, you know, he's got, he's got good points. He's got good questions. We disagree with him 
it seems like we disagree with him on pretty much every point. <laughs> uh, he's he's very much uh, uh, it's at least from the comments that he's made uh, on our on our YouTube page. It seems like he's a very big supporter of Monty Judah. Um, it seems like he is a supporter of the Aleph Tav. Uh, it seems like he's a supporter of interpreting uh, Paleo Hebrew into Hebrew word pictures. Um, it seems like he might be Aramaic primacy. I'm not sure about that. Uh, so you know the list goes on and on. Okay. So basically, if if we if we state a case, it usually seems like this gentleman will usually disagree with us on it. And to be honest with you, I actually enjoy the interactions that we have with this with this gentleman. It does several things. It kind of sharpens us. Uh, you know, it makes us think. It makes us stop and think about the positions that we've we've presented and whether or not we've presented them correctly or if we've presented them well. Uh, it makes us also question some of the interpretations that we're taking and, and look at them again, which I think is all good stuff. So I don't mind anyone, uh, you know, disagreeing. And uh, I I just kind of, I see him as a, uh, a worthy adversary. And that, that there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's good. And I see him as a brother in the Lord as well. So uh, even though he's he might be seen as an adversary sometimes, uh, these are all just in-house debates, right? I, I don't question this this gentleman's salvation. Uh, however, I've never met him personally. So, I, you know, that's all, you know. Uh, but I, I have no reason to question his, his uh, authenticity in terms of, of his relationship with the Lord at all. There's absolutely no reason I, I would do that. Uh, he writes in uh, about our last show, and I've to be to be completely fair, you can go to our our last show, uh, which was what number eighty seven on YouTube, and you can look at his comments there. Uh, I I did edit these together for the sake of time. I took out my responses also, and there was one other person that was commenting. Uh, our good friend Lois Morgan jumped in and, and uh, commented a, a little bit on this. As well, and so I took her comments out as well because I just wanted to get his this gentleman's main points. Uh, and if for some reason he feels like I'm doing injustice to to him by taking out my responses and and uh, Lois's comments as well, then I apologize. Uh, but you can go to our uh, you can go to this YouTube video and, and see the comments for yourself if you'd like to. Uh, so he says you now he's talking to to me about uh, in the beginning he he basically starts by agreeing with me, which was kind of a Kind of took me off guard, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, and we were talking about we were talking about the idea that you don't need the rabbis to I- interpret the Bible. Okay. <gasps> yeah, and and so he was agreeing with that. Did you just say that? I know, right? Um, and so he we're talking about Exodus twelve forty nine, and this is actually in your show notes, but. Um, we're talking about Exodus twelve forty nine, which talks about there shall be one law for the for the ger, which is the Hebrew word for stranger or sojourner, and for the native born. Okay, and this whole passage is basically expanded and uh, and hit even harder in Numbers fifteen fifteen through sixteen. Anyway, so this is what our friend on on YouTube says to us. Uh, he says you have to admit using Exodus twelve that there are different levels of citizenship in Israel. And um, just from from the from the outset, I, I think I should have full disclosure here. I I don't accept that. I don't believe that. You don't have different levels of citizenship. I mean, even even that concept to us is foreign. You know, Barack Obama is the president of the United States of America. 
but his citizenship is no more uh, valid than my citizenship. And okay, let's not. Barack Obama is a bad, <laughs> bad example because I know that there's a lot of a lot of Republican listeners, so a lot of people probably question Barack Obama's uh, uh, birth certificate. Let's take a different example. Who's somebody who's high up? Joe Biden is our vice president. Okay, white bread, obviously born here in America. No question about his birth certificate, right? Uh, Joe Biden is the vice president. He has a very powerful position in the United States. However, he is no more a citizen than I am. He doesn't have a higher level of citizenship than I do. I don't think that you can prove that there's different levels of citizenship within the within the Torah. However, our friend here actually uh, brings up some some points that uh, about this theory. He says the highest be. Uh, the highest that that is uh, level of citizenship being ger or the word ger in the Hebrew. Okay, full conversion, and he uses this word full, full conversion, which is accomplished by physical circumcision. Okay, there's n- wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. So does he say does the ger cease being a ger? Well, and that's the question. When he converts. That that's a good question because according to the rabbis, when when a actually I have a okay. I have an excerpt here. I was going to save this. This is from my father's book, Fellow Heirs, uh, Jews and Gentiles Together in the Family of God. And actually, I offered Good this book. Yeah, I, book. I offered this gentleman a free copy of this book, which he, he said he would take me up on. Uh, I am still waiting for his address. Um, he says, uh, this is my father, page two of Fellow Heirs. Uh, I don't know how much of this I should read, but I, I guess... Uh, uh, A good chunk isn't bad. The primary word used throughout the Tanakh for the foreigner who has has joined himself to Israel is the word ger, usually translated foreigner, alien, stranger, or sojourner. As we shall see, the word ger is sometimes coupled with other words to give it greater specificity. (coughs) Pardon me. A ger is one who becomes, uh, who because of war, famine, or other factors, has left his own village or tribe and sought re- refuge in another place in which his right of land ownership and normal citizenship have been uh, curtailed. In the Tanakh, Ger is often found contrasted with Ezrach, native-born, or citizen. Most often in those cases where the Torah enjoins equal treatment of both citizen, native-born, and Ger, we will study uh, the words Ezrach below. It should be noted that the contrasting designations native-born, Ezrach, and sojourner, Ger, in these contexts negate equating the Ger with the later rabbinic idea of convert or proselyte. From the rabbinic perspective, a non-Jew who converts through the ritual or of the proselyte is no longer considered a foreigner, but is reckoned as native-born, as an Israelite in every respect. When he, that is the proselyte, comes up after his uh, mikvah in in a ritual bath, he is deemed to be an Israelite in all respects. So if Ger designated someone with the status of native-born, there would be no reason to continually remind the Israelites that there was one law for the native-born and for the sojourner. By by definition, the proselyte would be treated in every way like the native-born. Boom. I mean, I can see my father like dropping the mic and walking away. In other words, you you can't in and and let's take his his uh his statement here and apply it to Exodus 12:49. If the word ger can't mean uh 
basically, if if we take the idea that after a conversion process, which we're going to talk about later, because I reject the idea of this, but if we take the the rabbinic idea, which it seems like our friend here is taking, that after a ritual conversion and a circumcision, you're no longer considered a gear, but you're considered a native born, then why in the world would Exodus twelve forty nine, which is talking about eating a sacrificial lamb, uh, and not only a sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. And what do you have to do to eat the Passover lamb? You have to be circumcised, right? So according to and the... That's true for an Israelite male also. Exactly. Right? I mean, I, I, so it's the... It applies to both. But the gear, but if a gear is if a gear is circumcised, if a non-Israeli is circumcised, according to the rabbis, that means he's going through a, a ritual of conversion, right? And even our friend here, he says, he says a gear full conversion, which is accomplished by the physical circumcision. So, in other words, that gear would no longer be called a gear. And Exodus twelve forty nine, which has assumes that the person has already been circumcised to eat the Passover lamb, would not need to use that word. It would just say, "This is this is the law for the Israelite." Right? Why would it even have to specify that there was a gear? Let's keep going with this uh, this gentleman's. Yeah, the idea of conversion it. is not in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. Yeah, exactly. There's no word conversion. So conversion is an innovation. It's an innovation that happens post-Maccabean times uh, and probably exclusive. I don't know for a fact exclusively, but in in one at least one stream of Pharisaic. Okay, but I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to explain the history of, of the Maccabean revolt and uh, circumcision and how that became the idea of, of the proselyte here in just a few seconds. But let's keep going with our with our friends. Uh, com- I started the clock. Uh, okay. Comments. <laughs> okay, so he he goes on. Okay, Toshav being the Commonwealth without having been physically circumcised. What? Where did he get this? I don't know. He's just making up definitions for words. Yeah, I, I don't know why he would think that Toshav uh, is refers to a commonwealth without being physically circumcised. Yeah, what does that, how does he know that that's what that means? Being born again is circumcision of the heart. Okay. Um, I would agree with that no matter what your ethnicity is. Right. Okay, so he goes on. So this is uh, Now, I believe I responded to that, okay? And so this is, this is another response. Are you suggesting Abraham wasn't a convert? Was he born into a house of idolatry? This is this is our friend uh, responding to me. Was he born into a house of idolatry growing up in uh, Ur of the Chaldeans? And the answer to that is, okay, what what do you mean by convert? Do you mean convert by turning away from uh, the past to a new life? In, in yeah, Abraham was a new creation. But right? we but we all are. It doesn't matter if you were born Jewish or not. Oh, you're right. <laughs> at some point, at some point, we all. See. Oh, wait a minute. The Bible calls what happened to Abraham is he believed. Yeah, exactly. And it was credited to him as righteousness, and he obeyed God's Torah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's what the Bible says, is that Abraham believed he was obedient to God, and that's what distinguished him. Oh. But even so if, if, he, that, if that what conversion is then, just believing God and being obedient? Yeah, and if that's the no, case, they want to. They what? What this guy's trying to say? He's trying to create a religion called Judaism, to which you have to join membership into. That's what he's defining. But that's not what Abraham did. 
Yeah, Abraham, Abraham didn't, didn't go through. A, a re- yeah. Abraham didn't join a religious group and say, "Okay, I'm going to be part of this part of you guys from now on." No. Well, and not only that, but even people who are born as ethnically Jewish people. Let's take my father, perfect example, because he he was born to a Jewish mother, right? Uh, Jewish by blood, even according to the Orthodox, my father's Jewish by blood. And at the age of five years old, he was born into a believing family. At the age of five years old, my father accepted the Messiah as his Lord and Savior. So did my father at the age of five have a conversion? Yes, he did. He converted from wickedness to a true relationship with the Almighty. Did he go through the rabbinic uh, the rabbinic conversion process? No, he didn't. So you have to define the term of what conversion is. So let's go on with our friend's comments here. He says, I also believe Exodus 12 clearly identifies those that are Israel to be di- a different le- in different levels. For example, looking at the Hebrew word ger, Using whichever Hebrew dictionary concordance you like, you will see it defined as a convert or a proselyte. That's absolutely not true. Uh, I looked at uh, two dictionaries, and both of them did not define it that way. Uh, it defined it as a sojourner or someone who, uh, who, who journeys. And I know that he's probably looking at Halot. Halot is a great, great resource. It is. There's no doubt about it. I use Halot a lot. Uh, but Halot is not always right. It's made by German, uh, by German scholars, and they heavily rested on, rabbinical, on the rabbinical beliefs. For instance, Halot also says that the word Messiah never refers to the, the Messiah figure in the Tanakh. That's simply not true. And to, to be honest, when you look at the word ger, you don't have the and why don't you enlighten us on this, uh, uh, Rob? The word Garen and and uh, the idea of conversion. Talk to us about the Maccabees conversion when it started to be used as proselyter conversion. First of all, we need to we need to wean our diet. We need to wean ourselves off of anachronistic terminology. Okay, they're like additives and preservatives and food coloring. Go for it and hydrogenated vegetable oil and high fructose corn syrup okay that we gotta we gotta let's use terminology of the scriptures paul says abraham believed was credited him as righteousness and that's that's the pattern for us that's the begin that's the obedient that's the core of the obedient life is faith you can't please god without without it we so we, we need to start with the scriptures and build on the rock of the word, not try to bring in different roof structures and see if we can build supports in the in the scriptures to hold it up. And then we can look limit ourselves to the Tanakh. Then we can expand, look at the apostolic writings. Then we can say, okay, now let's look at Jewish writings in the Second Temple period and try to gauge how were different Jewish groups understanding this or that perspective. But when we take this idea of, quote, conversion, in this idea of you convert from one religion to another or from non-religion to a religion, we're using terms that are not in the Bible. So now we're, we, we've actually changed the domain of the conversation to something that uh, may or may not be anchored in the scriptures, built on the word itself. So that's an important thing, because Yeshua says we want to build on the rock of the word, because no matter how pretty the 
picture might be. If it's not built on the rock, what's going to happen? Storms are going to come, it's going to wipe it away, and we're going to be left staring at each other going, uh, what just happened? So, if we look, at, and there's a lot that needs to be said here, but one of the words that comes to mind is proselyte, right? Yeah, and that's, what, and that's one of the words that Halot uses. As I think it's the first thing, proselyte or convert is how Halot uh, translates the word ger. Okay. The, so let's just say, okay, forget the lexicons. Let's just go look at the actual texts that use the word and look at the contexts for proselyte. Forget that it means a convert in later. It means a, a, a non-Jew who converts to Jew to rabbinic religion or whatever. It's a Greek word. Okay? Right? It's a Greek word. And it is used a few times to often to translate ger. Which ger itself, and you're, this is, I encourage people to read Fellow Heirs by Tim Haig because he gets into there, he contrasts the, the uh, seemingly difficult passage between Leviticus and Deuteronomy where it says one time you can you can give the trefa or the nevilah the, the the meat the animal that died of itself you can give to the gear and then in the other book it says actually I don't uh, think wait hang on Rob are you sure about that I thought that that that's yeah, in the beginning he I talks thought, about Leviticus I, and Deuteronomy no but I thought that that word was Ezrach no that's gear hmm, okay keep going anyway so so the word gear is it 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 has a uh, malleable meaning depending on context. Anyway, this word proselyte is the same way. In Greek, proselytos, it's called. And it does, it's clearly, we can look at the Septuagint, which is, you know, 3rd century B.C., a Greek, a Jewish-Greek translation. So it's a translation by Jews who, probably priests, who spoke both, read Hebrew, they understood Hebrew and Greek. They translated the Torah into Greek. And how did they use it? Well, let's, that's our earliest data. Well, how did they use it? Well, they used it to translate gear, but they also use it like in Exodus 22. You shall not harm a proselytos, nor shall you oppress him, for you were proselytoi in the land of Egypt. Okay, wait, hang on just a sec. You, I, I want to make sure that, that I, I understand what you're doing here, because you're not reading, no, no longer are you reading out of a Hebrew text. You're rep, reading out of the Septuagint, right? Right. Okay, so the Septu- let's, let's just, just in case we have listeners who... Would be unaware. The Septuagint is a third century BCE. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. So it's, okay. it's a Jewish Greek translation. Okay, a, tr- a translation made by Jews who were in authority. So now, now we, but why have you moved from Hebrew to Greek? Because we're because it's the it's with the word proselyte that we start thinking in terms of translate uh, of uh, conversion. Okay, so your point. I want to make sure. I want to just. Walk through this slowly. So I want to make sure I get your point. What you're saying is, is that the word ger in the Hebrew text never d- denotes someone who has converted. We would never assume that from the Hebrew text if all we had was the Tanakh. Is that oh, correct? Here's, right. That's, that's right. Okay. And so we'd only get the idea of a convert, someone who converted from non-Jewish to Jewish, through this Greek word, and that Greek word is proselytos. Is that correct? Right. Okay, keep going. Well, it's the same with ger. If we look at Exodus 22, I think it's verse 20 in the Hebrew, but it's I think it's, uh, or maybe it might be Exodus, yeah, 22-20, I think. It said, you shall not oppress the ger. 
You shall not wrong the Gare. Okay. Because you were Gareem in the land of Egypt. Mm. Okay? So, in other words, here, Israel, this is post-receiving the Ten Commandments, is told the Gare, you will not wrong him or oppress him because you were Gare. You yourself were a Gare in the land of Egypt. And if we look at the Septuagint, it says the same thing, except it uses the word proselyte for Gare. Actually, I love you that. You shall not oppress the proselyte because you were proselytes in Egypt. Yeah, and actually. Okay, well, uh, if we understand a proselyte to be a convert, what would the, that wouldn't make any sense. Why would the Torah tell Israelites that they were converts? Yeah, on, on FFOZ's uh, uh, website, uh, Toby Janicki has written a, a piece. In that piece, he translates Ger as non-Israelite. How would that work in this in this context? Uh, yeah, so that, so he wants it to be non-Israelite. Yeah, but, but then other times he wants it to be a, a convert. I guess I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't read his stuff, so I don't really. I can't speak for him. But we have that. That happens in Exodus. It happens in Leviticus. It happens in Deuteronomy, where we have the word ger slash proselyte in the Greek. Clearly, where it does not mean anything about uh, any kind of conversion. Otherwise, you would have to somehow have a picture where Israel were converts. What it means is that they were a marginal group. They didn't have power. They didn't have uh, resources. They were dependent upon um, the larger society. And that's why the Gerim are often... Uh, listed together in the Torah with widows and orphans and Levites because it's the same thing. The Levites, the widows, and the orphans are they're uh, economically on the outskirts with with respect to any kind of power or voice. They are they are the most vulnerable in all of society, and that's the heart of the Torah. It says you will remember because you you know the nefesh of the ger. It says. You know the heart of, of that person because you experienced that oppression in Egypt. Now, don't do that to other people. Don't do to other people, the Torah says, what, what you experienced from, from Pharaoh's unjust rule. So, so Andre says, so we are reading the modern meaning of proselyte into the Septuagint. So to, talk, to, talk to me about why, when this idea of conversion okay, so started. Good point, good point. So the proselyte, is not, it doesn't occur in any of the, what we call the intertestamental books, which I think is a problematic title, but it's not used in the Maccabees books, for example. Fi, or Josephus never uses the word proselyte. Josephus, who's, who written, wrote extensively about all the history of the Second Temple period, up to and beyond its destruction. But are you talking say- about all sorts of things between nations and people? He doesn't use the word proselyte, and, and he's writing in Greek. It's it. So then Philo you- uses it. Philo uses it a few times. He writes probably early first century. He's writing in Greek. He's in Egypt. He uses it. He quotes uh, the Leviticus passage where where the Lord tells Israel says the land is mine. And you are proselytes, uh, you are my proselytes in the land. It says you are Gerim with me in the land. In other words, the land, uh, Philo emphasizes that God owns everything. And so 
uh, Israel and God's land are like sojourners. In other words, they don't own the land. So, so, so that the term had different usages depending on context. It wait, does not mean convert. Now, Philo does use have one place where he uses the Greek explanation of the word because it comes from this verb proserchomai for those who have done Greek before. And he does a little midrash. He says, that, uh, therefore, they are called proselytes because they have proselytheni. They have come over to be, be God, to fear the true God. In other words, they've, and they've abandoned uh, false traditions. So Philo gives us one place where he does, but he's playing on the word because it means they've, they've crossed over or something like that. So, okay, but, wait, uh, let me ask this question then. At what point do you think that the word proselytos began to mean something in terms of a ritual conversion? I think it was probably specific to probably first century common era. Um, it was it arose af- after Jewish sectarianism started to flourish. So it's post-Maccabean, because before the Maccabees, we don't really have different sects of Judaism. It's really or what we call Judaism. Uh, but after the Maccabees, what we have after, I don't remember which king it was, but they, they do rapid expansion of territory. They claim uh, Edomia and some other places where they go and circumcise all the males uh, by force. And now and they say, you are now Jews. No, well, wasn't that in the Maccabean period, though? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Okay. That's in the Maccabean period. So that's in the, the late 2nd century, coming into the 1st century B.C. And it's and then that's where we have the Book of Jubilees and part of the Book of Enoch, you know, where you have people pushing back. The Book of Jubilees says, no, you have to be circumcised on the 8th day or you're not Israel at all. In other words, for Jubilees, a, a, a non-circumcised 8th day Israelite can never become an Israelite. There's there is no there's no such thing from the Book of Jubilees perspective of, of an adult male coming from the nations and uh, and taking on circumcision. That would be a false uh, a false person. And Jubilees is doing that because they're pushing back against. Uh, it's they don't agree with the the Maccabees expansionist. Uh, claim that we're just going to go to a new ter- expander territory, circumcise all the male, and say now you're all Judeans or you're now Jews. They say no, that's that you can't do that. Um, and so you have a. We've talked about this before. I think you have a, a. It becomes a mess. The meaning of circumcision in that time becomes a mess. You have different groups arguing for different things of what it means. And uh, to the to the Maccabean kings, to the Hasmoneans, it it's a mark of their that they are now part of uh, Jewish land under Jewish king, kingship, and they will therefore pay uh, taxes, etc. Uh, and, and, and so, but then we go, well, let's look at the apostolic writings. The only index we have, in my, to my knowledge, and I've, I've scoured a lot of texts for this, is Matthew twenty three fifteen, where Yeshua says, "You scribes and Pharisees," in twenty three fifteen, you cross land and sea to make one proselyte. 
And when you get one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So in Matthew 23, 15, it's the only data we have, to my knowledge, where it suggests that uh, this idea of, quote, making a proselyte. And clearly, it's not a good thing. The making of a proselyte is not a good thing. <laughs> right? He says you're, you're going to make him, and then you make him a... Uh, Twice as much a child of Gehenna as yourself. <laughs> why would we, and that's Yeshua. Why, why would we say, oh yeah, conversion is good. Conversion is a valid option when it says no. You got, you the, only get, other, yeah. the only other times we have it are in Acts. Acts 2, Acts 6, and Acts 13. You can, I mean, you can use Blue Letter Bible, just look up proselyte. And every time, it's, it's the label of what people were before they were believers. That's one point. Another point is that as uh, proselytes are never considered Jews. They're listed with Jews. But Luke, uh, it seems that from Luke's perspective that we learn from Acts, the proselytes are, are not Jews. They're, they're a different class. So that it's, not a, a, it's not like you had people that converted to Judaism. This is the problem, because in one of the translations, I think this might be the Net Bible, it translates proselyte in Acts 6-5 as Nicholas, a Gentile convert to Judaism. Ooh. But all it is, it just says he's a proselyte. I'm going to have to talk to Wallace about that at the next ETS and SBL meeting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, that, that is uh, very problematic. You're, it, it makes the reader put things in the wrong categories. There's no mention in Acts 6-5 of, there, uh, Luke never mentions something called Judaism, ever. Okay, so our our programmer is is uh, is now posting uh, <laughs> snippets from F of O Z. He says, uh, and we'll look at this. He says, Aaron Eby and Toby Janicki write, "quote By the end of the Second Temple era, in which the apostolic community lived, ideas. Oh man, why is this following? How do I make it not follow? I don't know. Um, okay." Uh, changed the, uh, the Semitic value of the word ger had shifted somewhat in each of the one law passages in which uh, in which the word ger appears. The prominent view in, in Ju- Judaism was that the term did not denote a resident alien non-Jew, but a proselyte to Judaism. Then they go on to say this type of a ger was a person who had joined with the Jewish people and religion through a formal conversion process. So uh, what I hear them saying, what I hear them saying in that quote, and we're going to listen, and I'm going to give another quote from FFOZ. What I hear them saying is, is that the apostolic understanding of the word changed the word in the Torah. That the Torah meant one thing, but when yeah, I, I don't know, I, I think they're I, I think they're missing. They they need some trained people over there. Well, they know how to deal with text and it's, history. It seems they're, they're, it's anachronistic all over the place. Exactly. It seems very we anachronistic. We stick with the words of Yeshua <clears throat> yeah. who says not only we don't even have to talk about the, the title rabbi here. We can talk about 2315. Whatever a proselyte was in, in Yeshua's mouth was sad for the proselyte. Right? It was the poor unsuspecting Persons becoming twice as much a child of hell as the, these Pharisees and scribes. Okay, well, why is that? We we don't have any countertext that we can look to and say, oh, over here. But it means this. No, all the other people that we hear about in Acts are called proselytes. 
but they're listed with Jews. Like in Acts 2.11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. So proselytes are therefore not Jews. In Acts 13.43, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes. Okay, so these they're not Jews. Luke doesn't see them in the same category. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have just said Jews. Why, why, would you, why, why would you go around telling them, telling people that these people were proselytes. So I got another quote, and I got this quote. I pulled this one myself. This is from another article by FFOZ. <clears throat> Pardon me. We started talking about this yesterday, and we decided to stop talking about it so we could save it for the show. Here's the quote. Quote, as stated, this is from Messiah Journal 101. Uh, I think this is done by Boaz Michael and Lancaster. Quote, as stated above, the Torah says in Numbers 15, quote, there shall be one statute for you and for the alien who sojourns with you, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the alien be before the Lord. There is to be one Torah and one, one ordinance for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. End biblical quote by, uh, here. Continue quote by FFOZ. On the surface, this appears to be a simple statement, but when we dig deeper into biblical studies and interpretations, it becomes a complicated issue. By the time of the apostles, the word translated as alien, which is ger, was no longer understood as just a Gentile non-Jew. The Hebrew word has sh- had shifted its Semitic value so that in many cases it had come to refer specifically to a Gentile who had gone through a full legal conversion to become Jewish, i.e., that's what a they proselyte. want you to believe. That's what they want you to believe. That's the that's the propaganda right there. Could you say that last bit again? Yes, absolutely. It came to mean what? The Hebrew word had shifted its semantic value so so that in many cases it had come to refer specifically to a Gentile who had gone through a full legal conversion to become Jewish, i.e., a proselyte. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. I want to take that last bit and say, what's your evidence? That has gone through a ritual. What was it? A a uh, formal ritual. Uh, yeah. Who had gone through a legal conversion to become Jewish? Yeah, yeah. What's the evidence? That's th- what that is. That's later rabbinic. Yeah, proper. Uh, yeah, mindset yeah. being peddled as if it's first century reality. First off, now we know this is what we do know. The data we have is that different group, different Jewish groups, mind you. It's not a Jew versus Gentile thing. These are different Jews, Jewish groups, that were all pushing their own program, trying to get outsiders to join them. Some, some Jews just wanted other Jews to, to convince other Jews to join their cause. And other groups were willing to, to try to get uh, Gentiles into their cause. But there was no giant, quote, Judaism to which a non-Jew could convert. That's the empirical, the empire of the rabbis, that they're, the, the vision of the rabbinical empire that they're trying to produ- uh, promote. But that's, that's not what's going on in the first century. But it's just not what's going on. Well, um, Is that, the, yeah. I don't know if you can hear it over the, rec- over the recording here, but there is a significant amount of thunder <laughs> shaking my office right now. Anyway, okay. Um, oh, someone said, I think you're misreading the quote. It, it's, uh, it seems they are just saying this about Judaism generally in the first century. Yeah, so what I would like to... help me understand. I'm not sure I follow that. What, what I would like to suggest is that FFOZ has, has uh, basically misread the idea of gear. 
I don't think that the word ger has necessarily come to mean someone who has converted at this point. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but I think that the word, I think you hit the nail on the head with the Greek word proselytos. You still with me, Rob? Yeah. Okay, so I think that it wasn't the Hebrew word. I think it was the Greek word proselytos that had come to denote some some kind of ritual conversion. And I think it's my, and I take this also from my father's uh, writings, but I agree with him on this. In Ephesians 2, uh, where it says, hang on, let me get there, to, I think it's, what, 19? 219. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. It seems like he's erasing the idea of a difference between gear and, and a native born among those who, who are believers. But he doesn't use the word proselytos here. And you would think that he, use, he would use the word proselytos because it's the same word that the Septuagint uses in uh, the Exodus twelve forty nine passage and the Numbers fifteen fifteen through sixteen passage, right? However, I think that he's trying to stay away from the the word proselytos, which is why he doesn't use it. And I think the reason why is because by that point, the word proselytos had come to mean, in some places, the idea of a conversion process. And I think that Paul was adamantly against any kind of conversion process to, for salvation. But it was, okay, but that's, yes, there were certain Jewish groups that thought that they understood everything that tried to convert people over to their ways and that there were some probably in, in Asia who were inter- interacting with Gentiles who had formal ways for in which an outsider would become an insider with respect to their group. That's true. But that that doesn't mean that but it wasn't a monolithic Judaism behind it. No, but don't because you well, there was no there was no one Jewish group in charge. Okay, was, I, I yeah, totally Rome was in Rome was calling the shots and you had you had implanted king, you had an implanted high priesthood. You, you have but different you, but Jewish hang, groups, you hang, have the Essenes. Hang least, on, hang on, just a second. Sadducees, you have Pharisees. But you have to admit that the Pharisees, it seems as though the Pharisees and at least some other uh, groups had some ritual of conversion because it seemed uh, that, that made you, quote unquote, become Jewish. They got you in, right? I mean, the whole idea of the new perspective on Paul is that. No, no, it doesn't. No, no, because, because they, you would stay a proselyte. What do you mean? You, you become, if whatever it was. They become a proselyte. They don't become something called Jews. So wait, you reject the the, the new perspective there, on we Paul? We don't have any. We don't have any data. Wait. Show me data. Hang on. Wait. Are you? Show, are, are, show me. Show me data from the Bible, from the Apostolic Writings, from any first, any Second Temple period Jewish text outside the Bible. Wait. Wait. Hang on. Just a second. Where I'll, you have a non-Jew becoming someone who's now called a Jew. Wait. Wait. Hang on. Just a second. I want to make sure I understand this. Are you? Do you reject the new perspective on Paul? Are you saying that that Paul actually was teaching was, that Paul was actually teaching that you couldn't gain gain your salvation through works, as opposed to gain your salvation through bloodline? I don't understand the relevant. The, the new perspective on Paul is a, is kind of a. There's a lot of different 
nuance. I understand that, but the, but the new, but one of the base teachings on the new perspective on Paul is that Paul was not trying to combat the idea that the Jews were saying uh, you can gain your salvation through works. What what the new perspective on Paul says is that the Jews were actually saying you can you if you're born Jewish you're in. You have salvation because all of Israel will be saved. But if you're not Jewish by blood, you have to become Jewish. That's the only way to salvation. Bloodline is what saves you. And therefore, to... No, but see, but that it's more complicated than that, Caleb. And this is why. It's because the, the, yachad, the yachad out there at the Dead Sea, they said, unless you're one of us, you're not saved. And they're telling other Jews that. I agree, but what I'm trying to okay. So what? So what, what so I'm trying idea of a of a group of insiders telling outsiders that they need to join their program in order to be saved is completely separate issue than this idea of a non-Jew becoming Jew and being saved. But but you have but, there is no there is no general picture of quote a Judaism to which Gentiles need to convert in order to be saved. That did not exist. You have diff- all you have are different groups that agree or disagree to some extent, peddling their own wares on the market of of the re- of the religious world, trying to get trying to build up their their numbers. Yeah, but you had you had Judaism saying if you're not part of us, you're not saved. No, no, you don't. There's no such thing called Judaism doing that. I'm uh, to be honest with you, uh, I am dumbfounded right now by by this. <laughs> I mean, I think it's. I think that it's been quite obviously proven. N.T. Wright, Jimmy Dunn, E.P. Sanders, the idea that that Morons. <laughs> come on, no way. Uh, yeah, Tim Hag, my dad preaches this very strongly. Caleb, we don't have any data. There, there's, there's no such thing. As I a, think a, Galatians <laughs> is perfect data. That's what he's, that what, what Paul is, is specifically preaching against is the idea that you can, that that someone who is circumcised, i.e., converts, can be in. He says circumcision, uh, uh, circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments. In other words, what he's saying is the idea of converting doesn't do anything for you. But you're using the word conversion. Conversion isn't in, isn't used in the text. I know, but then what does it mean? What what does it mean when he says circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing? Because there was an insider group that called themselves quote the circumcision. It's like a, it's like a team. It's like the Redskins or the Seahawks. Okay. They they called themselves a circumcision, and they would they excluded people who weren't in their club from table fellowship and probably other ritual celebrations and probably wouldn't and limited uh, only had uh, limited social relations totally agree with you by, i totally just agree. let me finish constrained by the in-group halakha if you want to use that word and we we have it with with that group we have other jewish groups we have a number of jewish groups that are doing this in the in the first century they're excluding others because these other people uh haven't jumped through the hoops to become a member of the club. And only, wait, 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 only when they... Wait, wait, hang on. Wait, 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 hang on. outsiders adopt <laughs> you can't just You can't just keep going. You can't just say something like that and keep going. What do you mean become part of the program? That's called a conversion process, right? The terms used in the scripture are exclusion, right? They will They exclude you. I feel like we're splitting hairs because you just said... Become part of the club. 
So that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That's what we're talking about is becoming part of the club. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. It's not to some. You're not. It, the outsider is not joining quote Judaism. They're joining this local guy's teaching, and what he's what he's promoting, and the and the discipleship uh, circles that he's building around himself. Sure, but you had huge groups of 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 sects of Judaism like the Pharisees. Like the Sadducees, right? And they had their prescribed way of becoming part of their group, right? Okay, and? Okay, so that that's what we're talking about. The, and you even said earlier that this idea, this word proselytos, denoted some kind of conversion, right? Or some kind of shifting shifting status. Becoming part of the group, Right. I, I don't. I don't know what to say here. I, I think that we're we're there's a miscommunication. So um, I, what I hear you say, okay. So so what I hear you saying is is that okay. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When one of the when one of the Hasmonean kings moves in into Edom, uh, to Edom or Edomia, and they force circumcise all the males and say you are now Jews, you're part of the nation of of Judea, and you're now Jews. What do you call that? And now they're treated like Jews by the royal, by the king, and they're taxed like all Judeans are. But, but there's no okay. Yeah, you know, I, I, circumcised. What do you call that? Okay, so so and 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 I I agree that I think that we're actually do you call that conversion. No, but I why think not? why is that not conversion? See, because I I think that we're basically saying the same thing. I think that we're misunderstanding each other, or that I'm misunderstanding you. Because no, I mean, so what do you, what would you call that? For circumcision. For circumcision. Forced circumcision. Yeah, but, but that's but but I, I think that that's not we're we're missing the point here. We're miss we're we're I think we're saying the same things, but we're, we're uh, not we're misunderstanding because what I'm saying is is that you had Jewish groups and your your uh, analogy doesn't seem to uh, coincide with what we're talking about because what I'm trying to talk about is Jewish groups, quote unquote Jewish groups, what different sects of Judaism within. Uh, the first century, okay, and if you see, I, I, I right there, I can't use, I can't say sects of Judaism. That because, well, well then let's not just use words at all, right? I mean, no, can, we need to use. Let's use words that that <laughs> that were used then by the people, by the different groups themselves. Okay, so sects of nowhere, nowhere in the Bible is there a phrase "convert to Judaism." There is no phrase, no such phrase. So when I go around and if I'm trying to use this idea, convert to Judaism, convert to Judaism, I'm, I'm adding some sort of preserve. I'm adding an extra ingredient into the recipe that's not in the recipe that the Bible uses. And now, though, if but like with this Net Bible translation, where it just takes proselyte, translates it, quote, convert to Judaism, I'm actually adding noise into the Word of God. I'm actually introducing static that now people have to process, and it's actually going to uh, interfere with their ability to discern between the Word of God and the traditions of men. That's why I'm being a stickler on this this point. Yeah, but it seems like we're not able to discuss this because you're you're being too much of a stickler. When I say when I say that we're that we have different sects, what I mean, what else do you want me to say? We have different sects, you can, right? No, you can say you can say. You can say sect- Jewish sectarian groups, but don't say Judaism. 
Okay. Because Judaism is, is it, it, we have to define what Judaism is. We could, it, because that's a noun that we're saying it means something. Okay, so but we have. If we say Jewish, we could say, if we understand Jewish uh, and define that as having to do with, Moses, you know, covenant, the idea of, of covenant uh, member of the Mosaic uh, dispensation, you know, there's different ways to translate. But then you have to talk about the Samaritans. Okay, so, the Samaritans so, so we, clearly, so we have, clearly are not Jews, but they are they believe themselves to be Mosaic covenantal members. Okay, so we have Jewish sectarian groups. Okay. Okay. Let's just take a large one, like the Pharisees. Okay. Okay. How did the Pharisees deal with people who were Greeks, who were pagans, who decided that they wanted to follow the God of Israel? We have ver- That's a great question. That's a great question. What, what you're asking is, how did the Pharisees deal with people from other nations that were interested in the God of Israel? Yes, the that's what I'm asking. Is we have ver- that's a great question. Sadly, we don't have, we don't have any data. We don't know. We don't have. We don't have any text that we can look at to get the answer. That's what I'm trying to. T- that's what I'm trying to say. What what people try to do because there's not much there in terms of texts that they try to use later rabbinic tradition to fill in the holes. Okay. So what you're saying, uh, and I just want to make sure I understand. So what you're saying is, is that, and and I and I think I actually agree with you. So what you're saying is, is we don't have any any information on how that process happened. Or if that process happened, do you think that that process process I think there, did something I, I, happen in the first century well, to, yeah, to, I mean, to accommodate I think that, that? What we did have is what is what we have there in that passage that I pointed out earlier. Matthew twenty three fifteen is the only data that we have from ancient Jewish world, Second Temple period. See, but I went okay. That, that says that the, the the only data that describes it says scribes and Pharisees make a proselyte. It's the whole line. It's woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So you the, cross land and sea to make a single proselyte. And when you get one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's it. But don't you think that Paul specifically is, I mean, he's speaking. Paul doesn't to, use the word. I'm not Paul saying he's using the, the word I'm not saying he uses the word proselyte. Hear me out here. Okay. Okay. Don't you think that Paul speaks to the idea of Gentiles in the body of the Messiah and the exclusion from uh, different Jewish sectarian groups of Gentiles? I mean, what is Galatians talking about? Yeah, Galatians is talking about a very specific case where you have a pressure, a, a, a group that sees themselves as uh, some sort of the, the truth group, excluding others, and, but telling them they need to join their group. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's and, I and, so so we're saying Paul, the same thing. Paul gives many examples. He says, first of all, he says I was I persec- I was thought I was had the truth and I persecuted the church of God thinking I was in I was in the in group. Then he says uh that there was a group or a few people came from uh where or we went up to Jerusalem and there was a couple people I brought Titus with me. A couple people came in and they were false brothers trying to put us in bondage, and I wouldn't let them for a second. Okay, there's another example of a, uh, that Paul gives of people thinking that they have the truth, 
They, they believed that they represented, quote, true Israel, and they were going around trying to police it on others. Then you have that. So that's the first two. Then in Galatians, Paul talks about Simon Peter up in Antioch, who actually uh, folds to the same pressure. When people come from Judea, they come up and uh, Peter, Barnabas and others change their behavior out of fear, literally out of fear of these other people. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. You have people who seem to have some sort of authority come along, and you have people who aren't so sure because they're new, and they're like, oh, I got to toe the line to what these guys, because they seem legit, so I need to modify my behavior so I can be acceptable to them. And in that case, Peter and Barnabas, both of whom are Jews, mind you, are modifying their behavior because of the pressure group. They're even Jews. That's not even a Jew-Gentile issue. That's a Jew-Jew issue. Then a Juju Paul issue. Gives, so, so, <laughs> Paul gives those examples, and then he finally talks about, see, let me apply them now to your situation in Galatia. You've got this other group that's pressuring you and excluding you, telling you you don't have the truth, and they want you to become like them. I've, and I, they're using labels of shame and dishonor as leverage. They're calling you acrobustia, which means uncircumcised. They're saying you're not a legitimate uh, B'nai Avraham. You're not legitimate sons of Abraham. They're using these kinds of labels to shame these new precious believers in Yeshua that they need to, that they're missing something, that they're on a wrong trajectory, that this whole uh, gospel thing is not where it's at, and they need to change their behavior to, to please this group that's in power. That's what Paul's doing in Galatians. Okay, I agree with you, and I and I think that we're we're saying the same thing. And so what you're what you want to what you're arguing, and what I would agree with you with, is that this idea of conversion, or this ritual of convert. Now I want I'm going to bring up another passage. This this show could turn into five. Um, so what what you're saying is I want to make sure I understand what you're saying is is that this idea of a ritual of conversion to quote unquote Judaism is a later rabbinic, let's say, 3rd to 6th century invention that is now being read back into 1st century literature. Am I correct in, in that assumption? Yeah, but I would, I, I, you know, I'm all about precision. And, you know, it's good in the Torah. It says use just weights and measures, right? We want to make sure we're using good scales. The rabbis don't use the word Judaism to describe themselves. They say halakha. Okay. So the rabbis come on the scene with the Mishnah, and, and etc., and they, they just have a whole catalogs, an anthology of halachot. This is the way you do it. This other rabbi said, had a different opinion, but the sages say, this is the way we do it, and so this is the way we do it. And, then, and that's it. So for those people, they have a verb, yitgayer, which means to later translate, to become a convert, we would use in today's language, would be a person who now takes upon the obligation to keep the rabbinic halakha. It has, it has, it's not, you, uh, you know, in language, you'll say to keep the laws of Moses. But tucked into that is, as the rabbis teach you, to keep them. And we have to remember also that, the, that at the destruction of the temple, what you really have is you have kind of a dispersion and, and uh, abolishment of other sects of, quote, Okay, no, let's not even use that word. Uh, you have an abolishment of uh, Jewish sectarian groups, and what you're left with predominantly are two groups, which is the people of the way and the Pharisees, right? Yes. Okay, so 
when you when you have so let me rephrase what I said earlier and let's see if we can precisely lock it down. What you're saying about a ritual conversion of Judaism is that the later sectarian group of the Pharisees, which comprised the rabbinical writings that we now know as the Mishnah and the Talmud, made a specific halakha that people today are reading back into first century Judaism. Is that correct? I would say, yeah, for the most part. Okay. I mean, even the, the Pharisees do seem to be the ones that make up a lot of the early rabbis. Okay. So the rabbis, uh, to clarify, the rabbis call themselves Pharisees. Okay. So, so, so uh, I agree. I agree. I agree. Okay. So, so, so in other words, if we were talking to Rabbi Kiva and we said, okay, Rabbi Kiva, are you a Pharisee? He, we don't have any record of him call, saying, I am a Pharisee, in the same way we have Paul in the first century saying, I'm a Pharisee. But he says he's a so, Pharisee. Paul says he's a Pharisee, right? Yeah. But okay. We don't have any of the rabbis saying that. I got you. Okay. Okay. So, so then let me, let me, let me. I'm trying to be fair to them. I'm trying to be fair to the text of the Mishnah. I got you. In other words, if I'm going to and I'm going to say these guys are all Pharisees, is that fair to the Mishnah? Am I am I using just weights and measures? If they, they in fact in the Mishnah, the best I can say is, well, they're not calling themselves Pharisees. Maybe I don't need to be calling them that. I got it. Okay. Right. That's all. I'm saying, can we be fair to? The text as they stand. Okay, so but yes, so then, point. but even in the Babylonian Talmud, I think it's in Yavamot. The rabbis are in dispute. Some say you have to be circumcised. Some say you just have to do an immersion. And the circumcision, why? Because a, because a female can't be circumcised, but yet they can quote adopt Paris, or uh, they can adopt rabbinic halakha as and commit to it. Um, so, so th- there's different angles on that. Okay, but the general. The general holocaust, after the dust settles, after the debate, is basically circumcision. But there's three things, right? Circumcision, an immersion, and then a, a, a sacrifice. Uh, I think that we have a storm going by above me, and that's why Rob's uh, audio is a little... Uh, I don't know. Not so great from time to time. Okay, so hang on. I want to I want to ask you this then. Um So we're talking about this idea of a ritual of getting in, right? To a sectarian group. I'm trying to use the, I'm trying to use your words here, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. So then how do you see Acts 16 and Paul circumcising Timothy because of the it, Jews? Oh, that's a good question. So, yeah, so it's, 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 it's... Let me ask you this. Let me finalize the question, though, because I, now, now what we're getting into is circumcision. We know, I believe, and I think that you would agree with me fully, that the idea of of circumcision was not done away with Paul. Paul was not saying, don't get circumcised. That part of the covenant's gone, right? Correct. Okay, so if someone is a covenant member, they should be circumcised. It seems, though, like in this passage, Paul circumcised Timothy in some form of a a ritual because he does it for the Jews. It's not because Timothy's a covenant member. Go. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I think that Paul, um, I haven't looked at that passage for a while, but clearly, we can say this. Paul, if, if we read Galatians 5, 
to mean that, and this is the way FFOZ and others do, that uh, for whoever is circumcised becomes obligated to all the rabbinic halakha, then but, that's what's happening here. But that's late. But that's a late. But now you're reading in, right? No, I know. I'm saying if we were to adopt the FFOZ approach, yes, okay, we, we would okay, have to okay, say I'm sorry, yes. that Timothy became Timothy fell from Messiah here, right? We would have to re if we. Uh, you know, how come Timothy didn't assert his liberty yeah, of being under grace? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions we could ask. Um, so, you know, that's a good question. You're looking at, I just pulled it up. It's Acts 16, 16. verse 3. Yeah. Um, and the phrase is uh, diatus judaios tus antas antois topois kenois, uh, which means the dia is, it can mean like because of the Jews that were in that uh, place. Um, now, this, there's flexibility on this preposition, dia. Is it, is it because of, in other words, because of fear of? Um, no, I don't think it's because of fear of. Um, I think that dia probably has a, a larger semantic swath, and it doesn't have to be... Um, in other words, let's say there weren't Jews in that place. Do you think Timothy still would have been circumcised? Well, and that's and that's kind of the point. I think you. I think, I think he would have been. Well, I think Paul. I think yeah. There's a lot going on in this passage, no doubt. And I think that that Timothy would have been circumcised at some point, no matter what. I think that uh, you know he wasn't i think that paul s- spoke against g- going through a ritual of conversion or uh, not ri- i'm i'm sorry going through a ritual of circumcision if you thought that it gained you something in Christ's eyes okay so by this point it's obvious that timothy is not of that mindset but it almost sounds like it almost to me and i could be way off on this it almost sounds like maybe paul would have waited a little bit longer but because of the Jews in the area, Timothy wouldn't have been accepted in, or, you know, or uh, I don't know. Timothy wouldn't have been accepted into the Jewish communities uh, unless he went through this ritual. This kind of how I, or unless he was considered in, and however that would be. So w- when we talk about these different uh, these different Jewish sectarian groups, it seems as though he's he's uh, he's being accepted into a vast amount of these groups. It's not just like one small sectarian group like the Qumran sect or something he needs to go talk to. It seemed because it says of the Jews in the area, right? Sure. Or in the region. And sure, and he's and he's he's under Paul's wing. Absolutely. Right? I think Timothy probably, you know, I mean let's look at it. it we know from the letters, the epistles to Timothy that his mother and I think and his grandmother were Jewish, right? And he grew up with the scriptures. But obviously, you know, his father was Greek, and Timothy probably was viewed, and we don't know if his father was still alive or not uh, at this point, but he probably was viewed with some suspicion, you know. In other words, um, he was probably felt slightly different than those, you know, the local Jewish community that was very intense. Uh, in their uh, scrupulous in their observance, he probably felt a little bit uh, like an outsider, and it was under Paul's wing that he 
came to learn to walk around in those in those circles. Paul didn't have any problem. Paul didn't have any problem walking in any of those circles, like he says in First Corinthians. Yeah, he talks a, about you know a Jew, to, a, to, a, a Jew, Pharisee among Pharisees. Yeah. You know, all those are presumably Jewish spaces. Paul, Paul is fluent in the tradition. He's fluent in the gospel, and he's going to be uh, equally comfortable and maybe uncomfortable in any of those situations. And so, uh, definitely Timothy. He's training up Timothy, and and uh, this is part of that. Okay, and, but you know, l- let's take it back now. Let's take it back to Ephesians to the Ephesians two passage. Okay. Okay, because it seems like what you're saying, like we're agreeing here. We're agreeing on the Acts 16 passage. It seems like uh, Timothy is circumcised in some way to be accepted. In other words, to get in to to be accepted into these groups, right? So, whatever sectarian group this might have been, whatever Jewish sectarian group this might have been. So now back to the Ephesians two passage two nineteen. My original point was was that it seems as though to me. I would think that Paul is avoiding this word proselytos. And my suggestion is, is that he's avoiding this word because it might denote some ritual that would get you uh, acceptance into a sectarian group. Do you reject that? Or do you think that that is a possible valid reason why Paul wouldn't use the word proselytos in Ephesians 2.19? So Paul's deli- what you're asking is what you're noticing something you're noticing okay here's a place where Paul's talking about citizenship and being one in Messiah between Jew and Gentile but he's not using the word proselyte so you're making that observation right yes and, well, and, and then you're yeah. and then you're going from that to say you're suggesting Paul deliberately Paul knows the word proselyte but he's deliberately not using it here because he knows his readers know the word and it will give them the wrong idea correct i I think that's a fair because i think i I think that that paul is well obviously well aware of his torah and and of the torah and he knows exodus 12 49 he knows uh he knows numbers 15 15 and 16 right right. he wants to give a new category paul wants people paul here's paul's aim what's paul's aim to teach He's, he's got a couple main aims. One is to, to te- preach the gospel, of course, to teach people how to navigate in their life, how to think about the gospel. In other words, how the gospel relates to the Tanakh and how it applies to their purity of their heart and their treatment of each other. How, in other words, Shema and V'haf Delarecha Kamoka, right? And love your neighbors yourself. And then Paul's uh, other... Uh, PowerPoint there is to protect the space for those little seedlings, the word of God being preached, to protect those little sprouts from all the noise and fear and honor shame dynamics of the existing chaos in the Jewish world with all the sectarianism and all the you got to do this, no, you got to do this to be righteous. Oh, it's that's not Messiah. This is Messiah. All that noise. Paul wants to protect the new believers from that chaos and build them up and edify them with the, the with the scriptures and with just the word of the gospel. Uh, that's what what he says: the forming of Messiah in you. He's he's saying, you know, this is about the new covenant. This is what about God does in the hearts of the individual believer. 
All hearts are purified by faith, uh, by faith in Messiah. That's what God does. It's equally true for Jew and Gentile alike. And we need to protect that space. Therefore, there are certain words inherited from Tanakh, like Messiah, New Covenant, right? Things like this that are now, that's a closed loop. Those, we know what those are now. We're not arguing about Messiah anymore. We're not arguing about what New Covenant is from Jeremiah. We're, say, we're not arguing about Isaiah 53 and what it means. These things are closed loops. It's a sealed deal. But we're also going to avoid the noise of present Jewish sectarianism. And, and this is what you're getting at, is that this word proselyte is one of, just adds to the noise. Yeah, and, and I, I guess, let me, put, let me put it this way. Okay, so the way that I'm kind of forming this in my head, you have within the first century these major sectar- Jewish sectarian groups. And then you have like these smaller kind of fringe sectarian groups. They all probably disagree on how you would become part of their group, whatever that process might be to become part of their group. So it's like, you know, it's like today with, with American politics. You have the GOP, you have the Democrats, okay? Those are the two major groups. If you want to be part of us, you know, send some money to Hillary or send some money to, you know, who I don't know, whoever, okay? But then you also have like, the green party and everybody rolls their eyes like, Oh yeah, that green party. Or, you know, like, Oh yeah, the Qumranis. Right. You know, like, or you have the socialist movement, you know, you have all these little small groups. They're not going to pull hardly any of the vote. But if you want to be, if you're part of the, if you say, Oh, well I'm part of the, you know, I'm part of the socialist movement. Everybody just goes. Okay. Right. And, and we need to remember that this quote, what we want to call it conversion or whatever, like the data we have from Qumran or from, what the later rabbis talk about this, the Haverim, uh, that it took time. It was a life investment. You had to go for like a year. You had to demonstrate that you understood the Qumran, or, you know, the, the Yachad's uh, teachings before you were even allowed to participate in like the liquid, you know, to drink what, what, the, what the community drinks. And then like another year, now I could be getting the times wrong, but then it was like another year or so before you could participate in the meals. And you had... You had tests along the way, and if you, uh, and you had to make a vow. You know, th- these groups were concerned about retaining their members, but, but what and I'm they s- didn't make it easy. It wasn't an easy thing. It's like you, you had to invest your life. And even Josephus writes about, well, I spent so much time with this group, and then I went and I said, well, I want to try out that group, and then I hung out with that guy and learned from him for a while. But- it's, like, it's like he's going to the store. And yeah. he's going to try, you know, I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to go to the community college for a year. I don't like that. Oh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go do this for a while. I'm going to go to the Peace Corps for a year. You know, he's investing his life in these different things, trying to see what fits. Okay, but hang on just a sec. Let's go back to your analogy of the, or your, your uh, you know, expose on, on the Qumrani sect. Yeah, I agree. There's all this evidence that there were these really long periods of time and whatnot. But my what I'm trying to say is that like the Qumran sect seems as though it seems as though that was like the fringe that was the Green Party of the they were they were probably one of the more extreme yeah yeah exactly and they hate and they hated the the they were skeptical and hated the people back in Jerusalem that were doing it wrong we're doing it right they're doing it wrong what I'm suggesting is that what Paul's really uh, fighting against is one of one or two of the main larger sects and the inclusion into those sects. In other words, like Pharisaism would be like the GOP party. 
like most of the people ascribe to either one one of the two groups and it seems like when Paul is is trying and maybe I'm wrong on maybe I'm re- reading into this but it seems to me that the reason that he would avoid a word like proselytos in such a key passage it seems like when he would when he would uh when he would say say something like you're no longer aliens or strangers he would just use the word that that the Septuagint uses so readily for ger which is proselytos he doesn't though he he avoids that and so what I'm trying to say is okay well then did proselytos mean something uh, maybe and have and gain a little bit more oomph with some of these groups like the Pharisees or like major these major groups that are really t- trying to push some kind of a inclusion into their group. You can be a Pharisee, but you have to go. You have to be circumcised this way. Yeah, and the so-called. I'm glad you're pointing this out. Let's let's look at some of the data. Some of the data is we have the Epistle to Galatia and the Epistle to the Church at Ephesus. Those are both in Asia Minor, right? Now, Ephesus is on the uh, is near the water towards you know it's on the western Turkey, or yeah, western Turkey where Galatia is more inland. Mm-hmm. But they're Asia. They're these are in Asia. These are far from the land of Israel, and they both are talking about these groups called quote the the foreskins, and then the group called the Acrobustia, or, or the the Peritomi. So the foreskins are the Acrobustia team. And that's like Ephesians 2.11. <laughs> Team foreskins. Ha-ha. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> remember that formerly you, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called, who are called acrobustia by the so-called peritome. In other words, they, these are powerful labels that had, like we say, currency in Asia. Like, oh, the circumcision. I want to be part of the circumcision group. Why? Because... I'm an outsider as a as a member of the uncircumcision, and I I want it. I don't want to be shamed anymore. I want to join their group, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to be acceptable to them, so that I no longer will be labeled an acrobustia member because that's a play, position of shame. Now I'm dealing with the fear of man again. It's all about fear of man and what man is going to do to me, and that's why Paul starts Galatians. The, how does how does Paul start the whole epistle of Galatians? Paul. An apostle, not from men, not by human agency, but by Yeshua Messiah. And then he goes on, he says, am I here to please God or am I here to please man? Uh, Because it's those traditions, it's men's traditions, as however religious they might look, that are getting in the way and confusing people with respect to what is the word of God. It gets back to, like we were talking about last week, Mark 7, Matthew 15. What's the issue? The issue, Yeshua makes it very clear. You've got God's word, and then you've got this accumulation of of the Pharisaic paradosis, the traditions. And these traditions are uh, like leaven, getting bigger and bigger. And the person, the outsider who comes, becomes more of a, a son of hell. Why? It's the same reason why Yeshua knocks over the money-changing tables. This is a house of prayer for all people. He quotes Isaiah about that all nations would be able to come and worship God freely. No, they weren't letting that happen. They had all these different uh, courts, court of women, court of Gentiles, you know, all this stuff that had been uh, built into the Herod's architecture of the temple that was contrary to the spirit of, of the Torah. And um, 
and all, all these things come down to the, the core point of discerning the, the word of God from the tradition of man and the traditions of man over and over again, trying to paint themselves up to be divinely ordained. That's, or, or to be, or to be somehow, uh, obligatory for you to be real, for you to be genuine. It's all a person trying to sell you. If you only do this, you'll be the real deal. And that is an external motivator. That's not new covenant heart. New covenant heart seeks to comply with God's will from the inside out, from a motivation of uh, humility, of recognition of one's sin, and need for salvation, faith in Messiah Yeshua as the, the provider of that salvation, and the, the, whose blood is the means of our forgiveness, and we're given a new spirit, just like it's promised, that we would desire to walk in his ways. The external thing is that is the bullies, you know, the the rabbi bullies, that are you know the thugs. Oh man, saying, and, they, you, and you they're do it our way. They're still or, around today. They're still around today. You know, we didn't we didn't make it to a bunch of these articles that I have, Rob. I'm sorry to cut you off. We didn't make it to a, right. a bunch of these articles, but uh, you got guys in, not in Judaism. It's not in Judaism, like mainstream Judaism. It's in the Messianic movement. These guys are are doing the exact same thing. They're trying to bully people into converting. If you don't convert, you're not really part of us, or you're part of us, but you just can't participate with us in all this stuff. Well, and there's people that make they they try to make Christianity look silly, yeah, or absurd. Now it's true that there are there are valid criticisms against, for example, American evangelical church, right? There's sure, valid criticisms. Sure. But there's valid you know. criticisms against everyone. There's valid right. criticisms so, against so, Messianic. So the point is not, is not that there's no place of criticism. Uh, we, that's part of the body of Messiah where Yeshua says, you know, you have one teacher and you're all brothers, is that we need to learn in gentleness, in gentleness like Paul writes in Galatians 6 and, ever, well, and, and the Sermon on the Mount. We check, our, check the plank in our own eye. Then I'll be able to see clearly to help my brother. <laughs> Paul puts it in... Galatians 6, in the context of one who is gentle, you know, you know, reach out, try to bring correction to the, the person who's in sin, um, who's trans, in transgression gently so that you don't too, uh, so that you're not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens. I mean, you know, that's, this is where it's at. It's not about, oh, you know, there's this, this ethereal group out there called the true Judaism, and you need to find out what those learned rabbis say you need to do in order to be officially recognized and to get their seal so you can put your se- their seal on your website so that when they come, when someone comes to your website, they know that you're, yeah. you know, so, the real circumcised. No, that's, not, that's not how the new covenant works. The new covenant is new creation. That's right. From the inside out, it's, it's the cleansing of the inside of the dish. Yep. Not trying to shine up the outside, and so I can be acceptable to others, and it just becomes a social club. Oh, we're back to Mark 7. You know, it's not easy. We don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You know, we've had great conversations about, you know, the temple gets rebuilt and all these things. You know, a lot of those things we can speculate, and, and that's fine, but we have to recognize we're speculating here because the fact of the matter is I'm called right now, right now, to love God with all my heart and soul and strength, and that, you know, that I'm accountable in Messiah that that love expresses itself in all my relationships. From my wife to my kids to my neighbor to my community to my extended family and you know, 
that's that's where the rubber meets the road, and those that's the weightiest matter of the Torah. Um, these other things are important, and, and it's good that we're talking about them and that we're diving into the scriptures and we're we're seeking to learn from each other. Um, but we've got to be careful that the that we grow in our discernment of where the traditions of man are creeping in and coloring our view. True, true. Just when you thought that uh, Rob and I disagreed, boom, we agree. We totally agree. All right. Hey, we we didn't get to a lot of our material today. We're going to try to get to it next week, maybe. Uh, I, somebody sent me some uh, some audio clips, and the audio cl- clips seem like gems. I haven't actually listened to all of them yet, but uh, it's all about being under the law. And so what uh, we might do is try to follow this conversation up with under the law versus under grace. Uh, It's been a good conversation. I hope that you've gained something from it. Uh, I think it's obvious that Rob and I completely disagree with many Messianics who believe that you have to go through some conversion process to, quote, become Jewish. That's uh, not the case at all. In fact, I think what both Rob and I would agree on is that the only thing that really matters is faith through grace, which is a gift of God from our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.